Hello, friends. How are you? How was your 4th of July? Okay. Well, I don't know about y'all, but in our neighborhood, it sounded like we were at a professional fireworks show. It was so loud, which is fine, except for we have a dog that's terrified and two kids under the age of three. <laughs> so it made for an interesting few hours. But it was good. Everybody was celebrating. So we are continuing our series on From the Mount. We're going to dig into uh, chapter 6 today. So last week we uh, finished out chapter 5. Tom did a lot of work and a lot of scripture. And he asked us to sort of read all that on our own. And so as you did read that, as I'm sure you did, we all did, we noticed this pattern of the old, the new, and how to live out that new. So that was called the commands. And that's really more of the what of Christian life. So now we're going to move into chapter 6. We're going to see a new pattern, a pattern of bad reward and good reward. And this is more of the how. This is called the devotions portion of the Sermon on the Mount. So we're going to jump in to the scripture. We're going to read verse 1 first. But I also want to just highlight, as I said, there's a bad and then a reward and a good and then a reward. So here's a spoiler alert. We want the good reward. We want the right one, okay? So I've just basically given my whole sermon away, but that's okay. So let's read here Matthew 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. For then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So Jesus starts off really strong here. As kids, we are all born with this need to be seen. You all, you parents and grandparents, you know, ooh, look at me, look at me, I want you to see me. And as we get older, that sort of fades away. It's not as in your face, like, hey, look at me. But it's still very much we want to be noticed. And it's because we are born self-centered. We're born with this egocentric um, sort of way of being. But when we accept Jesus as our Savior, when we start walking in that path of discipleship, then it becomes not about self being at the center, but Jesus being at the center. And when we live this way, when we live as Jesus in the center, then we can become righteous. And so let's talk about this word righteousness. The Greek word is dikaiosune. Dikaiosune, it's a fun one. And it really means adherence to what is required according to a standard. So people up to this point had been doing these practices of righteousness. They had been giving, they had been fasting, they had been praying. But now Jesus is going to give them a new standard. He's going to take this righteousness to a whole new level, which Jesus kind of has a way of doing, doesn't he? So before we get into the meat of the scripture, I want to point out something that I want to be sure you don't miss. When Jesus starts each of these uh, practices, he says, when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. These aren't if statements of you may or may not do these. These are when statements implying that you will do these things. Now, if this were an episode of Jeopardy, and we had the final Jeopardy, it would be something like this. From Sermon on the Mount, the practices of giving, praying, and fasting. Do, 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 do. The correct answer is, how do I become righteous? And we do it through these acts. If we want to be more Christ-like, if we want to change for the better, if we want the world to change for the better, 
then we need to do these acts, these practices of giving, praying, and fasting. But there's more to this. And that's what we're going to get into is the how. But Jesus gives us through these three practices because he knows when we do these, when we make space in our lives for these practices, that we are going to be transformed. And that's why Jesus says practicing. we got to do these over and over and over again. Now, y'all know I'm a big Tennessee fan. I've got my cup here. But you also know I'm a huge Pat Summit fan. She was my hero. So much so, we named our daughter after her. But one of the things that she says is combine practice with belief. When we combine the practices of giving, praying, and fasting with the belief that God is going to meet us there every single time we do these things, we can unlock so many great gifts of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus is needing us to do. This world would look entirely different if only we could, every time we practice, also believe that he's going to meet us right where we are. So it starts with us, friends. We can do this. So let's figure out how we do it. Let's look at this transformation. So it's really cool here. These three practices that Jesus gives us also correspond with three relationships. With others through giving, with God through praying, and with self through fasting. I just love that. I love that Jesus thinks about all, all things. Like he really is very, um, gets you the biggest bang of your buck with all of his teachings. So I think Jesus makes it clear that righteousness not only happens through relationship with God, with the triune God, but righteousness always comes to us through relationships with others and through relationships with ourself. So we're going to do scripture a little bit different. I'm going to read the scripture about the particular practice and then give you a little bit of a nugget and then we're going to move on to the next one so put your seatbelts on it's going to be sort of quick but hopefully not a bumpy ride all right so the first scripture we have is from six two through four so whenever you give alms do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be praised by others truly i tell you they have received their reward but when you give alms do not let your left hand Know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So first, we have the relationship of, of others, of giving. And I think there is significance in Jesus starting with giving first. I sort of think, you know, as parents, as, you know, of trying to protect people, our kids that we love, it's kind of like, if you're going to get to them, you got to go through me first, right? It's like, mm-hmm. But I think Jesus is saying, if you want to get to me, you've got to go through them first. And that was a huge shift in thinking. I mean, think about how the lepers were treated. Think about how those with disabilities were treated. They were just off in the corners, forgotten about. The poor were just forgotten about. If we want to get to Jesus, we've got to go through the poor We've got to care for them. We've got to love them. We've got to have compassion for the lonely, for the sick, for the imprisoned. We want to get to Jesus. We have to give of our time, of our money. So notice it's, it's about relationships. We've got to really get in the trenches so that people can get to know us and we can get to know people to reflect the light of God. And when we do that, then we get to God. 
through prayer. So let's read this scripture here, verses 5 through 8. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. But truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So in this, he makes two very important points for us about prayer. Two big shifts in thinking at that time. One, don't pray in public. And notice he says, see, not hear. People were actually praying in public, but silently. He's not even, nope. You go pray silently, if that's how you want to pray, in a room by yourself. You do not need to be seen. And then he also says, you don't have to be long. You don't have to be all fancy schmancy. You don't have to be a theologian or a pastor or any of those things to pray. So the great work of Jesus was that he tore that veil for us. We don't have to think about the priest who's the only one that can go into the Holy of Holies. We have direct access to the Holy Spirit, to God, and we can pray for ourselves. Now, I'm not saying there's not a beautiful thing in praying for one another. You come to me and Tom anytime you need us to pray. It's an awesome, beautiful thing. It's a community, wonderful, driven thing. But I'm saying God gives us the beautiful gift of being able to pray on our own to him. And then secondly, it doesn't have to be this long, elaborate, beautifully written, elegant prayer. He gives us the Lord's Prayer. In verses 9 through 15 is the Lord's Prayer, which we said earlier, we heard in a beautiful, different kind of way. How long does it take to say the Lord's Prayer? About 30 seconds. 30 seconds. Think about all the 30 seconds we have in our lives. It's one-fourth of the time it takes us to brush our teeth. It's half of the minute that it takes to make some minute rice. <laughs> or it's you could sing supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Don't y'all do that every day? You could swim seven laps in an Olympic-sized pool if you're Michael Phelps. So putting into perspective, though, here, 30 seconds. We have lots of 30 seconds. And Jesus gave us this prayer that only takes 30 seconds. The Father knows our hearts. The Father knows what we are going to say. So we don't need to make it this elaborate thing because he's already there. We simply need to be with him. We simply need to create a space to be with God. And I think there's a reason why Jesus made this so easy for us. I think he's emphasizing the importance of individual prayer. If you come here and you think that our prayer that we do is all you need, it's not going to cut it. We have to pray individually so that when we do come together and we are able to pray as a community, which is awesome, we definitely need to lift our voices up. But when we have put in the time to individually take that space to spend with God and we come together, then we can truly unlock all that the Holy Spirit wants to show us. There can be some awesome things in their church. Awesome. So then, lastly, is fasting. So let's look at verses 16 through 18. And whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. 
But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Y'all see in that pattern now that when, that bad and reward, and the good and reward. There's ways of doing this. This is the how of doing these things. So this fasting is really that inward, that inward discipline, right? That inward accountability. Who are you when no one is looking? And this is the only time that Jesus talks about fasting. And I don't think that makes it any less important. I just think there wasn't a lot of change to it. The giving and the prayer was a big mind shift. But, but fasting? Nope. You're, you continue to do it as you've always done it. But as my mama would say, you put your face on, you go outside, and don't look like you just rolled out of bed. You look like your normal self. You don't want people to see that you're fasting because this is an internal discipline. Can you hold yourself accountable knowing that only God is watching, not others? So the how to do Christian life isn't in only the acts, though. It's not only in the giving, the praying, and the fasting. It's a matter of the heart. It really comes down to hypocrisy versus, sorry, I'm going the wrong way. It really comes down to hypocrisy versus authenticity. And I really struggle with that word hypocrisy. I really struggle with that because I feel like the only one in the world that should ever use the word hypocrite is Jesus himself. I've heard so many people say, I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. Well, of course it is. We all struggle. We're, we all are going to struggle with sin. We're all going to mess up. Yes, Jesus tells us to be perfect, but he knows we're not going to be perfect most of the time. He knows that we're just going to keep striving and we're going to keep trying. We're going to keep working at this. We're going to keep practicing. Because when we keep practicing with the belief that God's going to meet us there, we know he's going to shape us, he's going to strengthen us, he's going to forgive us, and he's going to help us along. There is a beauty in admitting that we are a work in progress, that we struggle, that getting to righteousness means we aren't always going to get it right. We need to always be asking ourselves, are we giving, praying, and fasting so that God is the one who's seen? Or are we giving, praying, and fasting so that we are seen? You see, hypocrisy is thinking we are righteous because we do good things. But authenticity is thinking we do good things so we can become righteous. And there's a reward for both, as I said earlier. There is this reward for both. You can do these things. You can give and pray and fast for the wrong reasons. And still get a reward. You can get that praise of others. You can get that praise of the world. But are we really willing to give up our Father's reward for that? Are we really going to choose the world over our Father? And that reward isn't something that's far away. It's not God up in heaven going, oh, good job down there. Our reward is the Holy Spirit with us right now. He's with us right now, encouraging us and strengthening us, strengthening our faith, helping us to be better, helping us to be more righteous. Discipline is not easy, but it is worth it. Now, I promised you a new word. I know y'all been sitting on the edge of your seats waiting for it. So here it is. It's the opposite of righteousness. It's selfishness. Merriam-Webster is going to be calling me. I just know it. So if righteousness is living up to Jesus' standards with the need of God being seen, 
Selfishness is living up to our own standards with the need to be seen by others. And that can bring lots of grief. You know, as I said earlier, we are born with this desire to be noticed and to be seen. And we seek that in all kinds of ways. But usually we seek it and then we feel worse, more guilty, more shameful, because we're seeking it in the wrong ways and in the wrong places. We're born with that because we're created with the image of God and we desire to be noticed by God. That's who we need to be noticed by. And not only that, but as we continue to grow in righteousness and we grow more Christ-like, then it becomes not even about being noticed for God, but others noticing God through us. We can do a lot of right things for the wrong reasons, but let's do the right things for the right reasons and for the right rewards. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that we are able to come together today, that you are a God who is present with us, who loves us where we are but doesn't leave us where we are, that you give us these practices of giving, praying, and fasting so that we can become more and more like you, so that we can grow closer in relationship with you and we can become those disciples that you need to go into the world and change it for the better. Change it in a way that people see you and experience your love so that they can live in ways that brings you delight. Lord, help us know where our motives are wrong. Help us know where we may be living in a hypocritical way. Help us to know when we need to be authentic. Help us know when we need to be choosing you and not us. Lord, I love you and I pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.